The scripture reading this morning will be from Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3, I'm going to read beginning in verse 12 and go over to chapter 4. Hebrews 3:12. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you should be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Chapter 4, Therefore let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we have believed, have entered that rest, just as he has said, As I sworn my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said thus, for he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David after so long a time, just as it has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. Father, again, we um, are just so grateful for this privilege that you've given us to gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to have our hearts directed to you and to hear from you, Lord, through your word. And I do pray, God, that we would be responsive to all that you want to say to us, that our hearts would give their amen, Lord, to you and to your word, that you might teach us, instruct us, and lead us into all that is true. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. Well, we're going to be um, going back over to 1 Samuel 28 and 31. And those two chapters um, give the account of the end of Saul's life, King Saul. I wanted to read here from Hebrews because actually three times in these um, two chapters of Hebrews 3 and 4, um, the scripture is quoting from where David says in the Psalms, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me in the day of trial in the wilderness. So the author of Hebrews cites that verse in Hebrews 3.7, Hebrews 3.15, in Hebrews 4, 7, I don't know of another place in the New Testament where one Old Testament verse is, is quoted or repeated so many times in such a small section. And the application there is pretty evident to Saul, who was a man who, who heard the voice of God, and he hardened his heart to it. He decided he would do things close to what God wanted, but not fully as the Lord had said. And he really refused to repent of that. And it ended up costing him his kingdom. Because the Lord said through Saul, through Samuel, that God has chosen someone else to take your place and the kingdom has been torn from your hand. 
So in chapter 28 of 1 Samuel, the Philistine army has recognized the weakness of Israel, in part because David, one of Saul's main and and probably best um, commander, has been chased out of the country. And hundreds of people um, have gathered to David, among them the most valiant warriors of Israel. And so Israel's in a weakened condition. And it's not because of David and those that have gathered around him, but it's ultimately because of Saul's disobedience and defection from God. He's not a man who's any longer seeking after the Lord. And very early on, we saw in Saul's um, reign as king, he started out so well and with such humility, but became, he became more concerned about what people think of him than what God thinks of him. And that becomes the, the downward slope to where we are in chapter 28. Every person is governed by one of three loves in everything that we do. Either our love for God, or our love for the approval of man, or our love for self. And when it is not the love of God that is controlling us and motivating us, there will be a, a desperate um, appeal to anything which would allow us to continue and to survive. So we become people who lack integrity. We become people who are focused on our own survival, and we will do anything for that to be preserved. And now Saul has become a man who's resorting even to the ways of the devil in order to know the future because God no longer is speaking to him. So we pick it up in verse 28 and verse 3, chapter 28, verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. God is silent to it. Frightening prospect. David will say in the Psalms, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Saul is a man who regards iniquity in his heart. And God is now silent toward him. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Now a medium is different than a spiritist. A medium is a person who presumes to deal with dead people, people who have died with their spirits and to call them up again from the grave. Spiritist is someone who deals with demons. So the one person is dealing with what they would say are people who have died, their departed spirits or ghosts, and the other person is dealing with demons. There's really no difference. Scripture always puts the two together. If you want to look at a couple of passages in Leviticus chapter 20 and then Deuteronomy chapter 16, I'm sorry, 18, but Leviticus chapter 20, the Lord just soundly condemns this practice of being either medium or spiritist. They always go hand in hand. In Leviticus 20 verse 6, it says, As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, 
I will also set my face against that person and will cut them off from among his people. And then in verse 27 of the same chapter, Now a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist surely shall be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Deuteronomy 18, very similar statement of condemnation. Just pointing these out because the scripture is so clear. And Saul would have known what God has said. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. And when you enter the land by which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. You shall not do these things. They are detestable in the sight of God. But Samuel, I'm sorry, Saul is desperate. God's not speaking to him. What else is he to do? Nothing. If God's not speaking to you, it is not a time to panic. It is a time to do nothing. If he's not speaking, there's nothing to do. But Saul is panicked because his greatest love in his life is not for the Lord at this point. It is for success, for his own personal preservation, for the approval of man. And so he's doing whatever it would take to survive. It's a sad, sad chapter in Samuel's, Saul's life. Sad end to what began so good. So it says that they found this woman. Some translations describe her as a witch. She, Saul, it says in verse 8 that Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who were mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? And Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, there shall be no punishment to come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel... She cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up from out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and answers me no more, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may make known to me what I should do. And Samuel said, Why do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? And the Lord has done accordingly. As he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. And you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek. 
So the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Now, the main lesson of this chapter is not about a medium. It's about what has come to Saul because of his disobedience to the Lord. But I do just want to, again, before leaving the subject of the medium, because the details here matter, and we can get lost and caught up in them, but I want to touch on them. There is nothing in Scripture that would indicate that the demons know the future. They don't know the future any more than we do. They are not omniscient. They do not have all knowledge. Only God knows the future. The demons are limited beings, Greater than we are, but limited beings nonetheless. And they have limited knowledge. And they know nothing more about the future than what the Bible would reveal, which is the same for you and me. And so to go to a, to a demon, rather than to go to God, is futile and pointless, and it is an insult to God. And he absolutely hates it. So he soundly condemns it. And these people wouldn't have thought that they were necessarily going to meet to, to demons. Maybe some of them did. Maybe others didn't. But we also know from Scripture that when a person dies, he goes to be in the presence of God. Either for judgment or for life. And there is a, no one who can come back up again from the dead. Jesus spoke to that in his parable about the rich man and Lazarus. And... The rich man was saying, send Lazarus. And Jesus says, not going to happen. And even if he did go, nobody would believe him. It's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. This woman is not calling up Samuel. At least, she doesn't believe that she can. And that's why she's shocked when Samuel apparently appears. She didn't expect it. What she's been dealing with is not dead people. If she's been dealing with anything, it's been with demons. We know all have heard the stories of buildings, places that, um, where ghosts make themselves known. The supposed spirits of people who have died. They are not ghosts. They are demons who are making themselves known as people. They're deceiving spirits who want us to think that when people die, they go to someplace other than in the presence of God. That's part of Satan's deception, that you can die and not have to deal with God. You can just float around as a ghost or maybe just cease to exist altogether. It is a satanic deception. It is a lie. We go to be with the presence, in the presence of God, every soul, as soon as we die. Ecclesiastes says that when a man dies, his body returns to the ground and his soul ascends. And our souls ascend to be in the presence of God. It would seem that if God would choose to send someone back to earth, he could do so. But no person has the power to call somebody up from the dead. 
And the only reason I would say that God could choose to send somebody back is because of what we see on the Mount of Transfiguration. Where Moses and Elijah, Moses had died, Elijah was raptured to be in the presence of God. But the scripture says that both came from heaven, and they were seen on earth by Peter, John, and James. So God can do that if he were to choose to. And perhaps that's what's happening here. Saul, though, is not calling upon God. He's calling upon a witch, a medium. She, in turn, has no power to raise the dead, to bring the dead back. She can deal with demons who would deceivingly represent themselves as being someone who has died. But in this instance, it would seem that she sees Samuel. There's problems however we interpret this passage, whether this is just purely a demonic deception altogether or whether Samuel is actually revealed because God is revealing him. Not because of anything she did, but because of what God is doing. Either way, there's problems. And I, I can quote um, scholars on both sides of the issue. But one thing, again, is very clear. This woman is doing nothing. And she knows it. She's been in the, in the business of deceiving people. And whatever's happening now is not what used to happen. And she's shocked by it. I tend to think that, I can't say for sure, but that this does seem to be actually Samuel. I say that tentatively because I can't prove it. And no matter which way you go, there's problems. But I say that because this person, this being, which I take to be Samuel, is um, speaking the word of God clearly and revealing the future, which, again, demons do not know. They can act like they do, but well, not this kind of precision. Not only is Israel going to be um, defeated, you're going to die, and your sons are going to die. So there's great precision. This is a prophecy in the same order that Samuel gave while he was still alive. And so God is speaking to him, to Saul, one more time after Samuel's death. When Elisha died, remember the prophet Elisha, um, he's been dead for a while. In fact, he's only bones in a grave. So he's been dead for a while. And the Israelites were burying someone else in the same grave as Elisha. And here come the marauding bands, and they didn't have time to do a decent burial, so they just threw the guy into the hole, and they took off running. Well, as soon as that dead man touched the bones of Elisha, the dead man came back to life. That's interesting. Now, God did that, not Elisha. And I think that the reason God did that miracle is because he wanted us to know that every miracle done by Elisha was done by God. None of those miracles were done by the power of Elisha. They were all done by the power of God because a dead man can't perform miracles. And here again, I think what we're seeing is that the, the power of the prophet is never the prophet's power. It's God's. And it's God who has been speaking to Saul, all his life, through Samuel, 
and also through David, and also through his son, Jonathan. All three men were God's voice to Saul. And in all three men, Saul resisted them, hardened his heart, and now he's gotten to a place where he can't hear God, and God won't speak to him. And in God's mercy, it would seem, one more time, God speaks to him through the agency of a man because he won't hear directly from God. It's a sad story in Saul's life. One thing we can all agree on is that Saul is not in a good place spiritually. He has not heeded God's warnings. He has never fully come to repentance. He's never gotten on the track of of obedience to God. And every time he's inquired of God, it's really been for his own preservation and for even if it's the preservation of his image rather than truly for the will of God. And that's different than David. David was a man after God's own heart. And as we've been seeing, David was far from perfect. There were times when he messed up. He lied. He, in panic, fled to Ziglag. But David kept coming back to the Lord, to the Lord himself, humbling himself, acknowledging his sin, and recognizing his need for God. Truly broken and humbled. We don't see that with Saul. And so God pronounces on him through Samuel, you're going to die and your son's with you. If you look over at 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, we're given the scriptures additional commentary on what's happening here in 1 Samuel 28. 1 Chronicles 10, 13 and 14. So Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord. Because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, specifically regarding the Amalekites, which Samuel has already referenced. And also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it. And he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. That's pretty powerful two verses there. He died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of God, and also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it, and he did not inquire of God. So when he was trying to call up Saul, he knew he was not dealing with God. He was not asking God what God wanted. He was asking a man because he didn't want to deal with God and didn't think that God wanted to deal with him. He's going around what God has. And God, it says very clearly, killed him. There are so many things in God's word that he has spoken very clearly to us about. People, including myself, we can all get very panicked. And at the risk of what we think is precious try to get around God's word, and make life work. Young woman, Christian woman, has a guy that confesses his love for her, has been nothing but good to her, is able to provide for her, but he doesn't know Jesus. And she is sorely tempted to say, 
This may be my last chance. God's word spoken so clearly. You cannot marry an unbeliever. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Lord has been so clear. And he hasn't said that because he's just wanting to make life miserable. He said it because he's good. And the will of God is always good, acceptable, and perfect. But how many young women have thought, this is my last chance at happiness? And they choose to ignore God's word and make life work and spend the rest of their lives wishing that they had lived in obedience to God. Where God says to the single person, you cannot engage in sexual intimacy outside of marriage. And again, many folks, because they're lonely, very lonely, feel like this is the closest thing they can ever have to fill up that void, to, to address that need that's in their life. And so they try to skirt God's word. They know what God said. But the loneliness is too great. The desperation that comes to our souls is so powerful. And we know, of course, God is gracious and has already paid for all of our sin. So how much could it really cost me to violate what God has clearly said? It's a dangerous place to be. Let no one, in the day that God speaks, harden their hearts. What we read there in Hebrews, but encourage one another day by day, to stay true to the Lord, true to his word, to enter the rest that he has given us. Does anybody really want to end up like Saul? It's a very sobering passage. A man who started out so well, little in his own eyes, but then because of the love of self and the love of the approval of man, is disregarding God, and he's bringing his whole house down on his head. We're told in chapter 31 when the battle takes place, now the Philistines were fighting against Israel and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Machi Sua, the sons of Saul. Sad. That passage in 1 Chronicles 10 says that God, because of Saul's sin, killed Saul. But this says it wasn't just Saul that died. Three of his, at least four boys, died as well. One son Ibosheth was not in the battle, we don't know why, and he survived it. And the commander of Saul's army, Abner, he also survived it. We're not told how that happened. But these three boys died with their dead. That's not very fair. Scripture is very, very clear. Ezekiel 18.20 is the main verse, and the whole chapter of Ezekiel 18 is devoted to this. God says that he will not 
have the Son bear the iniquity of the Father. But the Father will bear His own iniquity, and the Son will bear His own iniquity, and God will not put to death the innocent for the sins of the guilty. But there are so many places in Scripture where it would appear that people are dying in place of the guilty. But they are not. God does not say that people will not die because of the sins of others. What he is saying is that no one will die instead of someone else. No one will die in place of someone else. Because a just God cannot take an innocent person and ascribe to that person someone else's sin and then kill them. We wouldn't do it, and God doesn't do it. Each person dies for his own sin. Having said that, it is possible for our sin to result not only in our death, but in someone else's death. And we see that all the time. Already in 1 Samuel, when David went to the priest at Nob and lied to him for a piece of bread, David's sin cost 85 priests their lives and probably several hundred other people. Those men did not die instead of David. They didn't die in place of David. They died because of David. And again, it's very sobering. Elijah had the opportunity to once and for all eradicate the worship of Baal from Israel. He killed 450 prophets of Baal. And then God had him out run a chariot, the chariot of Ahab, to get to Jezreel ahead of Ahab, presumably for the purpose of killing Jezebel, the wife of Ahab. And instead, Elijah ran for his life. And later, God will raise up three other men to finish what Elijah started, including the killing of Jezebel. But in the meantime, a good man, Naboth, and his sons were killed by Jezebel because Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. And Jezebel said, I can work that for you. And she had Naboth and his sons killed. Would have never happened if Elijah had been obedient to God. Those men, Naboth and his sons, did not die instead of Elijah, in place of Elijah. They died because of Elijah. And Saul's sons are not bearing the iniquity of their father instead of their father, but they are dying because of the iniquity of their father. Serious stuff. Our world tells us that sin is a private matter. And as long as you're sinning in your own home, it's nobody else's business. I don't see how that works out. We are relational beings. And whatever impacts us individually impacts every person that we are in relationship with, for good or for bad. There is no such thing as a private sin. There may be sins that nobody else knows about that we're doing. But that sin impacts everyone that we are in relationship with. That is the nature of our humanity, the nature of being in relationship with other people. And Saul's sin 
has caused not only his death, but the death, the death of three of his sons. Then we're told it just goes from bad to worse. Saul is not only humiliated in life, he's humiliated in death. The battle went heavily against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and pierce me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and pierce me through and make sport of me. For his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid, and for good reason. It would, have, he, it would have been murder for him, even, even though his king was wounded and probably going to die. It would have been murder for him to have put the sword to him. He could not do this. There's a reason why our doctors, medical doctors, take a pledge to preserve life. And even when a person is sure to die, their oath tells them, I cannot hasten their death. And we know that's being violated a lot now. It is tragic. No individual has that right. And this man, in this very critical situation where he knows his king is certain to die, has no right to finish him off. Then Saul said, I'm sorry, verse 5, and he, at the end of verse 4, so Saul took his sword and fell on it. And even that he botched. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, we know in the next chapter that he was not dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So we have two suicides here. And again, something that Scripture never endorses. Never. The Catholic Church would say that suicide is one of the cardinal sins, and if a person is guilty of this, that he cannot go to heaven. I believe they base that passage on 1 Corinthians where Paul says, if anyone destroys the temple of God, God will also destroy him. But that's a mishandling of that passage. The temple of God in that passage is not the individual's body, but it is the local church. If a person destroys the local church, God will destroy him. And again, it's not speaking of God taking away eternal life, but, but God maybe ending his life because of what he's done to the local church. But suicide is never, ever condoned in Scripture. And every time we see it, it's something very negative. Judas is being the most memorial, memorable of those who took their own life. There are two or three others in, in the Old Testament. Verse 6, Thus Saul died with his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men on that day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley with those who were beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled and the Philistines came and lived in them. And it came about on the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his weapons and sent them throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of the, uh, their idols and to the people. And they put his weapons in the temple of Ashtaroth, their female deity. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and walked all night 
and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Mashan, Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there, and they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. These men, in regard for a man who had become such a, a pathetic example of what can happen to a person of faith. They still loved Saul, respected Saul, not just because he was their king, but it was the people of Jabesh Gilead that, that Saul came to the rescue 40 years earlier. When he had first been made king, and the Ammonites came to the people of Jabesh Gilead, and they said, you've got two choices here. We can slaughter you all, or you can let us gouge out your right eye, and then we'll let you live, and you'll be a, you know, a reproach to Israel all your days. And the people of Jabesh Gilead said, well, give us a few days, seven days, I believe it was, to see if anybody else will help us. And then Saul rallied the whole nation of Israel, and they went out and killed the Ammonites. And Jabesh Gilead never forgot it. And so now Saul and his sons have been so humiliated and abused in death that they risk their lives and go in at night, tear down those bodies. Probably the reason they burnt them is because they were already so badly decomposed and they'd been violated and humiliated that they felt that this was the most respectful thing they could do to their bodies. And then they buried their bones as the Lord has prescribed for the dead. And then fasted seven days. Men of honor giving final honors to a man who did not die honorably. I don't know why Saul went into this battle knowing that he had already been told that he was going to die. Maybe it's one more final time of trying to make life work, of taking life into his own hands. Maybe it was a final act of duty. There did seem to be some call of duty in Saul's life. It seemed a call of duty that he killed the mediums and spiritists to begin with because God wanted them out of the land or dead. And so Saul may have been trying to atone for, for his previous disobedience by being obedient to that one point of Scripture to get rid of all the mediums and spiritists. But it doesn't work that way. Our acts of righteousness do not atone for our acts of sin. He obviously didn't really act under conviction that this was honoring and right before God to kill them because he went to one himself when he was desperate. And God knows our hearts. God's not just looking for duty. God's looking for a heart that loves him and is yielded to him. Any pagan can live by duty. Lots of unbelievers that are seeking to keep the law of God in their own strength. And God says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. I appreciate David's response in the next chapter. We're not going to get into all of it. But being the tender-hearted man that he is, David does not rejoice over the death of Saul any more than we should or anybody else. Truly laments the man's death. This is not an easy passage to preach. Obviously, it's, it's, it's sobering, and I think the application is pretty clear. 
It's not about mediums and spiritists, though the Lord never gives us any, any um, avenue or, or permission to go down that road. And folks, I've said this in years past, medium and spiritists, I don't know of any in this area. Maybe they're around. They probably are around. There's certainly enough TV programs on about calling up the dead and dealing with that kind of stuff. But one thing that is, is kind of, it's just right there with it. It's of the same um, genre of, of, of seeking to know the will of God without going to God is horoscopes. And I, you know, I don't think that's a big deal today that it used to be when I was growing up and everybody knew their sign, their zodiac sign, and everybody was looking at their, you know, what the horoscope said every day in the newspaper. But I could be mistaken. But I, shouldn't, I can't preach on, on, on this subject of spiritists and mediums without seeking the application. And if we are seeking to know what, what, something about the future, something about life's plans and directions in a source other than God and his word. We are putting ourselves in a, in a place of bringing on ourselves the discipline of God. God's heart toward this has not changed. He wants us to seek knowledge from him and his word and not to go around him, not to ignore his word and to seek some other avenue. And again... The Lord is inclined to us, to hear us. But we can make ourselves so hard toward the Lord because of our sin and not turning from it in repentance before God. And we can get to the place where we can't hear God. And it may be that the problem is not on God's side, not speaking to us. But we just can't hear him any longer. And so many times I know if God's not speaking to us directly through his word, he's speaking through us, to us through other people like he was with Saul through Samuel and David and Jonathan. All three men were God's voice to him, and he wasn't heeding. And his heart was being hardened in the day that God was speaking to him. And the consequences of that clearly are not just for Saul but for everybody around him. May it never be that we would live with a tender heart before God and take these examples to heart. They are here for our instruction. Better to be a David with all of his mistakes who has a heart that's responsive to God and his word than to be a Saul who will not turn from his sin and has hardened himself to the voice of God. I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father,